Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Road to Redemption, part two. As we uh, look to the last moments of Jesus' life, uh, we just have decided to have a short series in the lead up to Easter called Road to Redemption. And uh, this is a series that looks at the journey of Christ on uh, the way to the cross. As I mentioned last week, it's a road that uh, very few, if any, would choose to take for themselves. It's a road that leads to the Father's will and it's a road that leads to the redemption of a broken, hurting world. It's a road that would involve betrayal, suffering, death and resurrection. And last week we looked at the supper and we dealt with the issue of betrayal. Jesus suffered everything that you and I suffer. Jesus goes through all the things that you and I go through in order to show us how to overcome. And so last week we looked at betrayal that took place around the supper time. But today we're going to shift from the supper to the garden and we're going to be dealing with the issue of suffering. And so this is an incredibly important topic because none of us can escape suffering. I wish we could. I wish there was a magic pill we could take. I wish the moment we received the Bible in our hands, that day we gave our life to Jesus, it was the end of suffering. That is not the case at all. And so this is a really important subject matter today as we look at what Jesus did when He faced the most difficult, the toughest season of His life. And I wonder if you would turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 14, And I want to read 10 verses starting at verse 32. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 says, They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to the disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with Him and He began began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon said to Peter, uh, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. And can I just say, before you get too strong with the disciples, if you're anything like me, have you ever found yourself praying only to wake up half an hour later? Yeah, so that's what's going on here. Let's not be too unkind to the disciples. It says, they did, know what not, they did not know what to say to Him. Returning the third time, He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This garden was called Gethsemane and it was a garden that contained olive trees. Gethsemane simply means 
oil press, which suggests to us that evidently there was or still was at that time a press for pressing olives. And this name given to this garden is really fitting as it describes how Jesus was feeling. Can you imagine not only going through the suffering, but knowing you're about to go through the suffering? Sometimes the thought is worse than the actual act. And here's Jesus knowing that the time has come where He would be betrayed and handed over to Roman soldiers and be beaten, battered, bruised, betrayed and all those things. And He had incredible pressure upon Him. So not only was He feeling this way, but also in light of what He was facing, He was about to have His life the, sorry, the life pressed out of Him. Just like an olive in an olive press has the oil pressed out of it, so too this is a picture to us of what Jesus was about to experience as He was about to go on the cross. He was quite literally about to have the very life pressed out of His being. And so He was under incredible pressure. And pressure always brings whatever is in you out. Have you noticed that? Whatever is on the inside of you comes out. If you take a toothpaste tube and squeeze it, whatever is inside that toothpaste tube is going to come out. Most of the time, it's toothpaste, unless you're on a youth camp and someone's pranked you. But generally speaking, when you put that pressure on the toothpaste tube, the toothpaste gushes out. And these moments of pressure are one of the most defining moments of our lives because it shows us and highlights to us where we're actually at. And we see here, Jesus is showing us exactly where He is at. With all this pressure going on, He holds His line. This is what the Bible calls in James, the testing of our faith, which I spoke a lot about last year because of the circumstances that we as a church went through and I personally went through based upon my health. I'd never forget on... uh, Mother's Day 2016, when I was in hospital uh, fighting a blood infection and they had uh, told me that I had an abscess on my spine and so that I was going in on Sunday morning for spinal surgery. And it was on that Sunday morning, Mother's Day 2016, that Kath not only preached once, twice, but she preached three times as uh, her husband was going in for spinal surgery. Uh, I thank God that uh, I didn't have to have that surgery. God did a supernatural work in my body, of which I'm incredibly grateful for. But Kath stood up here not knowing that. And I think at that moment, under the extreme pressure she was under, she showcased and showed you all what her faith was like and where she was at. Because anyone can say anything when the pressure's off. You can go to the gym and boast how much you can bench press, but at the end of the day, you're only as good as you are when you're under the bar and the pressure's on. And so these are the opportunities in our lives to showcase what we truly believe. And so when pressure's on, it's not always a bad thing. It actually gives us an opportunity to show us and to grow us. And that's exactly what we see going on here with Jesus. Not only was this place symbolic based upon the name, but what you need to know about this garden is what it was a familiar place. In other words, Jesus did not go to this garden to hide away from the Roman soldiers. Jesus went there because it was a place that He went to often with the disciples to pray. And the reason we know that is because Judas 
took the Roman soldiers to that place knowing that Jesus would be there because that's where He was often found with His disciples. And so we need to understand Jesus was not running away. Jesus was not hiding from the soldiers. He was there fully expectant that Judas was about to come with the Roman soldiers. And there's an interesting thing that takes place. Judas had arranged a signal with the Roman soldiers as to indicate who Jesus was, which tells us something about Jesus. It tells us that He didn't have clothes that were so white and bright that He stood out from everyone else. It tells us that He didn't have a golden halo. It tells us that He didn't just levitate everywhere He went. No, He was fully human. And He was so normal and natural in appearance, the Roman soldiers couldn't tell Jesus apart from the other disciples. And so they arranged the signal. Judah said, the one I kiss, he's the one I want you to grab because this is the one we're after. His name is Jesus. And so Judas betrays the Son of Man, Jesus Christ Himself, with a kiss. And that's what's taking place in this garden here. But as you can imagine, there's a whole heap of suffering that's going on in the life of Christ at this moment. And it's what Jesus does in the midst of suffering that I want to highlight this morning so that we can have a greater appreciation of who Jesus is, what He's done, but also how you and I can also respond in our time of suffering. And the first thing I want to look at is simply this. Jesus, in His midst of suffering, pursues relationships. It says that He took Peter, James and John with Him to go and pray. Can I say when you're suffering and you're struggling, I know, I know it's not easy to be around people. I know you just want to hide away and let the world go by. But Jesus is teaching us something really important here to not do life alone. And what I've noticed in many years of ministry is that people tend to withdraw and be all by themselves. And when we're all by ourselves, that's where we tend to... um, Uh, feed negative thoughts more than any other time. And so Jesus takes Peter, James and John with Him. Make sure you don't do life alone, particularly when you're struggling, particularly when you're suffering, particularly when you're going through a tough time. And then I would also say this, He only took three. It's not just who you have with you, it's who you don't have with you. It's not only who you have with you, it's who you don't have with you. Paul Scanlon says it this way, not everyone deserves the right to see you're ugly. Some people can't handle your ugly. Some people aren't mature enough to see your ugly. Some people just don't know what to do around your ugly. You know that awkward feeling when someone loses a loved one and you just don't know what to say? This is what's going on. And, and so Jesus chooses these three, I believe, based upon they were the ones He could trust. I believe these are the ones that He wanted to invest into at another level than the other guys. But I think when it comes to you and I, we need to get trusted people. We need to get people that are mature people. We need to get people that can ultimately help us in those moments. And so the first thing Jesus does in the midst of suffering is He pursues relationships and I would encourage you and I to do the same. Secondly, He persists in prayer. Prayer is mentioned four times in these 10 verses. And what I I can't get over is the Bible does not say Jesus was worrying. 
It doesn't say, and Jesus was pointing the finger, blaming the disciples. Jesus is not in the Garden of Gethsemane doubting. He's not doing any of those things, but the Bible tells us four times exactly what He's doing and He's praying. When we go through tough times and when we're suffering, it's real easy to start blaming. It's really easy to start doubting. It's real easy to start worrying. And yet Jesus leads by example and tells us exactly what to do in those times and that is to pray. Prayer acknowledges that we are insufficient in ourselves. Prayer says that we need God more than we need those other things. Pride increases when prayer decreases. See, when we choose not to pray, we're actually being very prideful. We're saying we don't need God or we don't trust God or we don't want God. But when pride increases, prayer decreases. I want to ask you all a question here today. How much of your time is spent when you are suffering? How much of your time is spent nursing and rehearsing the situation and circumstance? Versus how much time is spent praying? See, we tend to think, oh no, I do pray. But my question is, how much do we pray compared to how much of the other things do we do? And so our, our five minutes of prayer is not going to help us with the five hours of complaining, nursing and rehearsing. And it's just good for us to do an audit of our own lives in these moments. Because if we're going to spend more time nursing, rehearsing, blaming, worrying and doubting and little time praying, the suffering is going to become unbearable. Jesus was going through suffering like you and I will never face. And yet He was able to stand His ground. And I believe the secret was found in His ability to pray. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Many times in the Scriptures, it talks about Jesus getting up and going to pray. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and He went off to a solitary place where He prayed. I, I love this verse because it's kind of like a little pattern for us to follow. It says, early in the morning. I think there's something about getting up early before the busyness of the world or busyness of life gets in the way of our lives. And so Jesus gets up early in the morning. The first thing He does, He says, it gets up. If you intend on praying in bed, you probably won't pray for long. Just write that down. Just, it's deep, I know. But Jesus gets up. And then it says He goes out. He leaves the house. He leaves the place of distraction. And He finds a solitary place. And I think there's something for us to draw from the life of Christ when it comes to those moments where we need to pray. He seeks God early. He gets out of bed. He leaves the house and He goes to a solitary place. And He didn't take Instagram. Just saying. And so Jesus, in the midst of suffering, He pursues relationships. He persisted in prayer. And thirdly, He prevailed in temptation. Jesus, in a moment of vulnerability, remember, He's fully human. 
He asked this question, if this cup can be removed, if the circumstance can be different, if we can do this another way, Father, if there's another way of getting around this, I'm all ears. I think that's fully understandable in the situation that Jesus was facing. And the point is that every one of us gets tempted, including Jesus. But the thing you need to know about temptation is this, it's not a sin. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin. In other words, feeling like giving up is not the same as actually giving up. I've got to be honest with you, after many years of ministry, there's sometimes where I feel like giving up. But feeling like giving up is not the same as actually giving up. And so we find ourselves still here today. Some of you have been tempted to do some things, look at some things, say some things. Those temptations, those thoughts that come your way are not sin in and of themselves. And Jesus is showing us a better way, how to deal with those thoughts when they come. And no sooner had Jesus prayed this prayer than He flips it around and says, yes, but not my will, but yours be done. In other words, His focus comes off Himself and off His circumstances and goes back to the Father. And the lesson for us to learn in the midst of suffering is that when we feel like giving up and we feel like giving in or we feel like doing something we shouldn't or seeing something we shouldn't or saying something we shouldn't, we've got to remove the focus off us and our pain to Him. We need to focus our eyes on Jesus as Jesus focused on the Father. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, these are incredible words that can help us focus on Him. Whatever suffering you're going through, whatever pain you're experiencing, know this, that Jesus experienced pain before us. That Jesus experienced pain at a greater level than any of us. And it's as we focus on Him, as, as, as we get a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is, that it begins to make sense of our pain and the things that we are going through. I never forget when I was in hospital and uh, I know most of you here would know the story very well. But there were a couple of dark days in the three weeks that I was in hospital with this blood infection and I felt like my body was shutting down. And the doctor confirmed I felt like that because my body was shutting down. I go on to tell you the story that uh, God was gracious and healed me and here I am today. But at that moment, I had to face something. At that moment in my pain, 
and with the very real thought that I might not be around any longer, I had to choose to either focus on me and my pain or Jesus and His promises. And I remember thinking thoughts like this. In 10,000 years from now, none of us are going to be here. And so for me to give up on what I believe now would have no gain in my eternity. I remember thinking this, people that backslide and give up on God because of disappointment, I remember thinking this, where would you backslide to? Where do you escape an omnipresent God who is in the heavens, He's below the heavens, He's to my right. He's to, where do you actually backslide to? And, and I remember just thinking these thoughts and while the pain remained, there was a shift in my thinking. I thank God for the people that were in my world at that time to help me with those thoughts as well. But I really believe that no matter what you're going through, God will grace you for if you choose to focus on Him. I'm grateful to God that He healed me and I came through that season and I get to tell my story everywhere I go. I'm grateful. But this I know, if God had chosen another path and I went to be with Him, that should never have been the death nail for this church because it doesn't change the promises of God. He is faithful and He is just. So Jesus, when facing pain and suffering, He pursues relationships. He persisted in prayer. He prevailed in temptation. And lastly, He found a purpose in His pain. He found a purpose in His pain. And I want you to get this today, church, as we are one week away from Easter. You see, in the first garden, mentioned in Scripture, the Garden of Eden, we see that this was a garden that was a place that was thriving. This beautiful place that God created for the pinnacle of His creation, Adam and Eve, to enjoy. It's called the Garden of Eden. And it had sustaining rivers and fruit. It was green and it was full of life. And yet on one fateful day, we see Adam and Eve disobey God by taking the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and everything changed. At the fall of man, we see death enter into humanity. And we see a curse enter this perfect garden. And now we see where flowers and fruit once prevailed, suddenly they're being overtaken by thorns and thistles. This perfect garden, the Garden of Eden, began to change because of man's sin. And God removes them from the garden. 
And He says, life is going to be different for you now. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And from that moment, Adam and Eve and everyone since has lived under this curse that entered the world in that garden. In this story, many years later, we find another man standing in a different garden. This garden of Gethsemane has been known as the second Eden. The first garden mentioned in Scripture was called Eden. This has become known as the second Eden. The one who messed up God's plan for the garden of Eden was known as the first Adam. And Jesus has become known as the second Adam. Two Adams standing in a garden. One brings a curse. This second Adam standing in this second garden of Eden wants to reverse that curse. And so the pain and the suffering that Jesus is enduring and is about to endure has its place in purpose. He's there smack bang centre in the will of God. Because the reason He came to earth was to reverse the curse of humanity and to bring about a lost a relationship that was lost back into existence. You see, when Adam sinned, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And we see that likewise with Jesus, this second Adam, He was removed unceremoniously by a mob, ready to be taken away, beaten, battered, bruised, and ultimately crucified. But it all had a purpose. But before we could experience the purpose, Jesus had to endure the pain. And at the coronation of our salvation, they placed a crown upon the head of our Saviour. And this crown was not a crown of gold. This was a crown of thorns. The very thing that entered the Garden of Eden because of the curse. Jesus takes the brokenness of humanity, the adversity of humanity, and wears it on His head as a crown of honour to declare that no matter what you're going through, no matter what the thorn in your life, Jesus took it upon Himself. You see, Paul, who was an incredible apostle and wrote much of the New Testament, he had what he called a thorn in his flesh. 
And we don't know what that thorn was, but we just know it equaled a great deal of pain for Paul. Experts cannot agree on what that thorn is and we're not here to even discuss that this morning. But I believe whatever that thorn was, it represents our thorns. It represents that place of pain and suffering in our life. And just as Paul pleaded three times for this thorn to be removed, God responded with these incredible words. My grace is sufficient for you. And so there was even a purpose in the thorn, Paul's thorn, because that thorn was placed there to stop Paul getting conceited. And so Paul realised it's far better to have the presence of grace than the absence of my thorn. I don't know what Paul's thorn was, but I know for every pain and every ounce of suffering that we face in 2017, Jesus took it upon Himself. He took your divorce and He rolled it up into a thorn and He allowed humanity to place that in a crown. And they didn't just place this crown on His head, they rammed it on His head. And the blood flowed. But those thorns represent your divorce. He took our addiction and He rolled it up in a thorn and those thorns represent your addiction. He took our disease, our cancer, our terminal illness and He rolled it up in a thorn and He placed it upon Himself. He took depression And He wrapped it up in a thorn and allowed that thorn to be placed on His head. He took our pain, He took our suffering, whatever that is for you today, there's not one thing that you are experiencing that He did not put into a thorn and place on His head and take to the cross to deal with once and for all. There was one who wore a crown of thorns for every thorn you'll ever have, for every thorn you'll ever face. It was He who went through the thorn room in order that we might experience the throne room. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 